Good morning, Grace City. I'm just going to preface this and put it out there, little nervous. This is more than announcements for me, so I feel like I'm on a job interview. Came dressed from the head up. It's like a Zoom interview, so just pretend. Here we go. Um, so I'm really excited to share my miracle with you guys today. Um, God has blessed me with an abundance amount of miracles in my 34 years of life. Um, he's saved me from near car accidents where I've called out to him and he's literally stopped inches from guardrails. Um, he brought an amazing man into my life that wanted to abstain with me until marriage at 29. Hard to find that. Don't know if you've tried it, but I did. I was successful. God only could make that miracle happen. Um, he gave me an amazing job that I love. And then on top of that, he hooks me up with parking spots like you wouldn't imagine. I'm just saying, he can work miracles if you just seek him. Um, today's miracle, though, does require a little bit of a backstory. So my parents split up when I was about two. So I spent time between both houses um, going back and forth. And I kind of always had this little feeling in the back of my mind. I felt so different from everyone in my family. Um, I feel like I didn't look like everyone per se. I felt just like visually I looked different. Um, and I think personality wise, I was just a lot in comparison to everyone else. So I felt a little disconnected there. Um, and a lot of times, I remember a couple times when I was little, I would ask my mom if I, if I was adopted. And she would get super offended. She's like, no, I pushed you out. I have photos. Like, stop asking that. Um, so I kind of went on. I did high school. I graduated. And then I went to Washington State University in Pullman. Um, and I would occasionally travel home on the weekends. I would, like, once a quarter, go home. And I remember one weekend coming home and my mom saying that she had something she needed to talk to me about. And... I sat down with her and when a mom says that, you know it's probably not good. You can like have that feeling. So I kind of had that sick feeling in my stomach. Um, and she told me that she had had an affair when she got pregnant with me. So she wasn't sure whose I was, whether I was my biological dad's or this other man that she was having an affair with. Um, and I think the second she told me, it just kind of validated those feelings that I had had growing up that it was I was someone else's sorry I'm a crier should have thrown that in the beginning um so I was obviously I was heartbroken this is years later and it's still painful to say um but I was, I was angry with her, I was confused, I felt like I was betrayed and my dad was betrayed and my family, my siblings were betrayed um, and I really felt like a lie. I felt like just not who I thought I was. I spent my whole life thinking I was this person and I wasn't her anymore. I struggled with my ethnicity then um, and so, hang on got over the hard part. So I kind of went about life. I felt like I could just push this down and continue on. I also went about doing a little test and I was able to confirm what my thoughts were. 
Um, so I came to the conclusion that I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want my dad to know. I didn't want my siblings to know. I wanted to carry the burden, the heartbreak. I, I just didn't want them to have to feel the way I felt. So I kept the secret. Me and my mom decided we weren't going to tell anyone. And I just suppressed it and focused on my career and finishing school and moving to LA and getting this amazing job I had always wanted. But I would think about it daily, weekly, that I wasn't who I thought I was. What if my dad found out? What if I ran into this person? Would they know? Um, and again, those same feelings of who was I, like it was just constantly there in the background. Um, and so I moved to Oregon and I started to build a stronger and stronger relationship with God and his plan for me and being more obedient to him and just listening and acting on what he said. And my boyfriend at the time, now husband, wasn't able to go to our church together that day. Um, and so I went to the church I had been going to previously before meeting him, Westside, um, a Jesus church. And I am big into worship. And so they're playing this amazing song. It's called Who You Say I Am by Hillsong. And the lyrics are, who the sun set free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God, yes I am. I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. And during those lyrics, an amazing miracle happened. Um, God spoke to me and he told me that no matter who my father was, that I was his child and that he would love me and that it was all gonna be okay. And he told me to go tell my dad and my family and that he would, he would just take care of everything. Um, and I was brought to tears in that moment. And it just instantly in that moment gave me so much peace already. I felt freed. I had carried this baggage around for six to seven years. And it was just not for me anymore. God didn't want it for me. And so um, a couple weeks later, over Thanksgiving, I pulled my dad aside and we went and talked, and it was the hardest thing I've ever had to tell somebody. Um, it made me sick to my stomach, and I could barely tell him that I, he wasn't my biological father, and it broke my heart. But by the grace of God, he was so gracious and so kind and so loving that you know, we moved forward and we told the rest of my family later that evening, my siblings and my stepmom and everybody was, you know, really, really kind and loving. And I'm not going to say that it was just easy from there because it wasn't, it was difficult. There's obviously been moments over the last five years since then that, you know, we've had tension or he's had frustration towards my mom, which is understandably so. It takes time to heal. Um, but I'm just beyond thankful that God gave me this moment. He freed me from this. You know, I've told this story to many people. This is the biggest group to date, but it makes it a little harder. But it, it was so freeing and it gave me an opportunity to be obedient to God 
And from there on, I think that this fearlessness that he gave me in that moment has just continued to grow in me. And I feel borderline fearless in all the right ways. I would say I am still afraid of snakes, but I think that's like a biblical thing. (laughs) So um, I want to thank everyone for the opportunity today to share my story. And I just encourage everyone to share their stories. I think that it's amazing to hear and it just is more glory to God. So I'm really excited to bring up one of my favorite miracles, my husband, David. Take it down. Good morning. I am so blessed to have a wife like Blaine. Um, I was there during that time that this took place, and um, I was so encouraged by her faith uh, that she was willing to step out in such a hard, like a difficult situation and trust God in in that moment. Um, So I'm just so grateful. Every every day I thank God um, and bumble for her every day, (laughs) every day. Anybody that's been married for over 20 years, uh, Bumble is a dating website. Um, funny, funny, quick fact, real quick, a Snapple fact. Uh, Blaine was the first date and only date online that I went on. And my friends that are here today actually always tell me how lucky I got. I did get lucky, but I didn't have to go on 40, 50 dates like these guys. Like God hooked me up. Well, for those of you that don't know, my name is Dave Rains. I am one of several elders here. Essentially what that means, if I could just kind of bring that all together, it just means that it's my job to serve you. And one way that I get to serve you this morning is by way of preaching, um, which I'm really excited to share what I believe God has put on my heart. Um, And I wanna thank you guys for being here, for my church family that is here, of course, but also to some friends and clients that have become friends and business partners and school friends and people from my old church. It's just cool to see all of you guys here. I've been on this journey with Jesus now for a decade, for 10 years. Um, I was thinking about it this morning. I love the church. I really love God's people. I love being together. I love hanging out. I love talking about God. I love wrestling with our faith and wrestling with each other. So I'm just so honored to to be here with you guys this morning. So we'll start off today's sermon with a question. Okay, I'm gonna have you participate a little bit. With a show of hands, who here has experienced a miracle? Fair enough. Who would like to? Amen, me too. Uh, I did what any good preacher would do, and I Googled miracle, um, and I actually used the first definition that popped up because it made the most sense uh, for today's message. Um, A surprising and welcome event that is not explainable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. You see, these last few weeks, we've been talking about miracles. For those of you who who may not know, we got to hear Blaine's story. We've got to hear several other stories. And over the next couple weeks, we'll continue to hear one another's stories, but also hear how God is still doing miracles today. This is not just something in the past. 
And whether you're fluent in the Bible or not, you are probably familiar with some of the bigger miracles that we've heard of, right? Such as uh, walking on water, turning water into wine, one of my personal favorites, and seeing the dead raised to life, right? These are some of the bigger miracles that we've all heard at some point in our lives. What I believe, or it could just be me, I, I don't think we're going to be experiencing those specific miracles again. It is possible, sure, but I don't, at least I don't think that, that I will be experiencing those miracles again. I think those specific miracles took place for a certain reason at a certain time, but today I will be talking about a miracle that we all can participate in at some way, shape, or level. We all can participate in this miracle. Today we're going to be talking about a woman who encountered Jesus was completely changed by that. And from there, a whole community of other people were changed because of her encounter with Jesus. And my hope today is that when you leave this place, that you will be encouraged or inspired enough to want to participate in this miracle. This miracle that I think is actually probably the most profound, if not the most important of all of them. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4 verses 4 through 27. It's a little lengthy text, but it's a good story. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally fine. Um, you can just follow along with me. I'm not going to have a whole bunch of slides up with it because it just can get confusing. Um, so John chapter 4, verses 4 through 27. This story is known either um, as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. One of my favorite stories. All right, God's word says, but he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Everybody say noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give him a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Say living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave you, I'm sorry, who gave us the well and with his sons, his flocks drank from it. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Say five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The worship 
You worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word, to be with your people. God, thank you for your presence. I pray, Lord, that you will just prepare our hearts to receive from you, to be transformed by you. God, we want to know you. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Participating in the Miracle of Salvation. So, remember the part where the woman got to the well around noon, right? So Jesus shows up, he's thirsty. The woman comes, it's about noon. The Bible's very specific about this detail. It is said that the reason why she went there at noon, which would have been the hottest part of the day, so let's call it 100 degrees. The reason why she was there at noon instead of say 7 a.m. where it would have been maybe 65 or 6 p.m. when it would have been maybe 65, she was there at noon at the hottest part of the day instead of in those other times with the rest of the community, by the way, because she was shamed by her peers. She was shamed by her community because of the lifestyle that she had. In those times, she would have been considered unclean. She would have been considered a second-class citizen, an outcast. And so she's going to get water at noon at the hottest part of the day by herself because of her humanness, because of the mistakes that she made. So she goes expecting that no one will be there. And she encounters a man. He asks for some water. She says, well, why are you asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? There was a cultural conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans at the time. And he said, well, listen, if you knew who it was that was asking you for water, you would, have given him, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. You see, what Jesus noticed was that this woman had a deeper need, a deeper desire within her. Jesus noticed that it wasn't that she needed physical water, but her soul was parched. It was her soul that was thirsty. And when Jesus is offering this woman living water, what he's saying is, hey, if you take me into your life, you'll never be the same again. If you take me into your life, your soul will be quenched. You see, Jesus realized that she was trying to quench the thirst of her soul by moving from one relationship to the next, from one bed to the next, from one thing to the next trying to fill this deep desire within her that only Jesus can fill. So they start engaging and having this conversation about theology, about her life. And it's really interesting, in chapter four, verses 25 through 26, Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. The Bible says, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So check this out. This is crazy to me. 
So first, I like that she had like this, she had some form of faith. She's like, she had some form of hope. She's like, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to answer all of our questions. He's going to fulfill all of our deepest desires. He's going to be with us. And so she's having this conversation with Jesus and he goes, yeah, um, that Messiah, yeah, that God, um, that king that you're, you're talking about, yeah, that's, that's me. Imagine that, mind blown. And here's what's cool. The Bible says that immediately after this interaction with Jesus, she runs back into town and she proclaims to everybody, come see a man who just told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So she has this interaction with this man. He claims to be the Messiah. She believes him and immediately runs back to the town and wants these people now to meet him. Here's what's cool. She runs back to the people that just shamed her. She goes back to the people that just dismissed her because of the mistakes that she had made, because of her five husbands. She, she, she met Jesus in her shame and she leaves him courageous and full of love. How do we know she was courageous? Well, um, if you've ever had conflict with anybody or you've ever had some tension with someone in your family or at work or whatever, it's really hard to make that phone call and forgive them. It's really hard to engage with them, right? It's, it's pretty difficult. She had a whole town of people that dismissed her so badly where she would go by herself at the hottest part of the day to go get water. She was so courageous and full of love after meeting Jesus that she wanted them now to experience him for themselves. You see, that's what happens when we engage with Jesus, when we meet Jesus, right? When we experience him for who he says he is and we believe him, we're changed to the point where we're willing to run back to our own enemies and say, guys, you gotta meet this Jesus that I just met. You must come and meet him. You see, once she encountered Jesus in her shame, nothing else was important to her at that moment. I like the little details of the Bible. It says that she dropped her jar, right? So she's getting water. She's thirsty, right? So she has this encounter with Jesus. She drops her jar. Nothing mattered. Nothing at the moment mattered except making sure other people got to also meet this Jesus. Verse 39 is amazing. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I really love this story. Here's what's cool. There's no indication that this woman was like a, like a theologian or a historian or you know, that she was a pastor or, you know, she didn't have a fancy Britney Spears microphone or, or, or anything like that. What she did have, though, was her story. Like, blame. She had her story of her encounter with Jesus. Here's what's cool. It says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. So people came to believe in this Jesus because of her story, but then she invited people into a relationship with God. 
You see? She shared her story. They believed. Then she invites them into a relationship with God. Jesus stays with them. More people come to believe. Their faith grows deeper. Sometimes I try to like, as I'm reading this story, I like to just go off in my mind, like, where, where does this go? You know, I think I have the liberty to do that. I only imagine what was the community like before Jesus encountered them? What type of, you know, how, how rough was it before then? How much strife was there before then? How much lack of love, lack of patience, lack of grace was there before Jesus encountered these people? I really like how this woman goes and shares her story. All these people come to believe. What was it like? What was the community like after they left? I can relate to this woman in a lot of ways. I know what it's like to feel shame, to feel the weight of my sin, to feel hopeless day in and day out. I know what it's like to wonder if my life has any meaning or value to it at all. I also know what it's like to feel that emptiness in my soul and trying to fill it with relationships and drugs and alcohol and nicotine and food and busyness and work and then and then and then. Um, this is where Jesus found me. Uh, this is a mugshot from 2000. In 12, so about a decade ago. During this time in my life, I was uh, smoking methamphetamine every day for about a year, uh, doing heroin, crack cocaine, ecstasy, all the things, all, all of them, shrooms, acid. I was homeless, like, like real homeless, like had a sign. Like, you know, like the people that have signs and like write stuff and they ask for money. Like that was like really me, like... I was, I know my friends are embarrassing me now, like, dang it, Dave. That was, that was really me for at least a year. I slept at parks. I've slept at beaches. I remember sleeping uh, behind uh, a 7-Eleven, just, you know, right next to a trash can, waking up super cold. Um, yeah, when Jesus found me in, in this period, I was, I was a mess. I know what that lady felt like. Um, I was in and out of jail. I, I've been arrested about 14 times, uh, in and out of jail, probably since the age of 11, actually. And um, towards the end of it, when I started getting into hardcore into drugs, when I was about 18 or 19, I was home invasions. In this particular time, I stole a car. I actually stole about 10 cars, but I stole a car in LA, and I wanted to drive to San Francisco. And I got pulled over in Santa Cruz. I was high on meth. I was up for five days straight, and I was drunk as a drunkard. And uh, the cop pulled me over, um, arrested me. I went to Santa Cruz uh, Correctional Facility. That's where I got my first, uh, first and only felony, really. Um, but yeah, that's where, that's where Jesus found me. And, uh, but the hardest thing of all of it, to be quite honest with you guys, the hardest part about all of it was losing my daughter. Losing my daughter, Sasha, who many of you know. Um, yeah, when I was, when she was two years old, that's, that's who I was then. And I was on the streets. I was, I was messed up. And, um, and I moved to Portland in order to get my life together. I feel like God told me to move to Portland, Oregon 10 years ago. 
and uh, I was actually high on meth in an apartment. This is where I found Jesus in this season of my life. And I remember him clearly, while I'm like doing drugs, I remember him clearly like, hey, move to Portland, Oregon, man. I got a better life for you. Um, I did. Um, So I know what it's like to be alone, like the Samaritan woman felt, and thinking that nobody will, will be around, and then encountering God himself. Um, and my life was forever changed. Once I came to Christ, uh, he gave me my beautiful daughter back, uh, my son Lazarus, my beautiful wife that you guys just heard, and he totally reconciled my life, like better than it was, better than it was. You know, when I first met Jesus, for the first time in my life is when I felt like heavy conviction or guilt for what I did. And I know you would think like, well, that probably should have happened a long time ago. Listen, listen, you know, human nature has a really good way of justifying our sin. You know, I could be the victim in any situation. It wasn't my fault. For the first time is when I felt the weight of my sin but at the same time, I felt God's forgiveness and grace all in one. It was a crazy experience that I knew I was a sinner. I knew I had made mistakes. I knew that I was wrong. But when I encountered Jesus, I also knew that I was forgiven and I was set free and that I had a new life to begin. It was really difficult. You see, the person you know now didn't come from reading a self-help book. I have several. I do do like them, but it didn't come from that. It wasn't therapy. I do go twice a week for obvious reasons. Um, I'm not against therapy. It wasn't therapy that changed me, though. And it certainly wasn't some alpha male TikTok star. (coughs) Um, It wasn't him. Uh, What it was, though, it was my my encounter um, with Jesus. It was my encounter with Jesus that radically changed my life. And like the Samaritan woman, once I had this encounter with Jesus, I couldn't help but tell everybody I came in contact with, literally, every single body. From when I was, because when I first came to Jesus, I was still homeless. When I was homeless, I would talk to other homeless people about Jesus. When I was in jail, I talked to other people about uh, Jesus in jail. When I came to rehab, I talked to other people uh, in, in rehab about Jesus. When I, every, everybody, most of you here, I've probably have annoyed you with talking about Jesus so much. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's, that's possible. You see, once I encountered him, my life was completely changed and I couldn't help but go back into the community and say, hey, everybody, listen, I think I found him. The one we've all been looking for. I think I found him, guys. My life is just completely changed. I, I can't compute this. I can't make sense of it, but I think it's him. I don't know. I think it's him. I think I'm onto something. And today, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a chance to, um, to give your life to this Jesus, to, to come and know this, this Jesus. And I know what you could be thinking. Yeah, I've, I've sinned. I've, I've made some mistakes. Um, I've, I've fallen short. But I'm nothing like you, bro. And I haven't had five husbands. And if you had, man, you got one up on me. Um, 
I, I hear you. I do. The Bible is very clear. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, the bad news is, um, it's not popular to say this, but it's okay, because I got the Britney Spears mic. The bad news is that we're far worse than we think. Um, we are. My stuff's a little more obvious. Um, we're far, far worse than we think. The good news is that we are loved beyond our wildest imagination by an amazing God who's quick to forgive, who's quick to offer grace, who's just fast to embrace. You see, he didn't, in this particular story, he didn't like put the hammer down on the Samaritan woman. He's just talking to her. Hey, I, I know your stuff, but I'm actually what you're really looking for. Sometimes I have this thought, it could be a little morbid. Maybe not morbid, but I think if I knew I had a couple days left, what would I say to my kids, to my, to my family, to my friends, to my brother, to you guys? If I knew I just had a couple days left, what would I write if I was to write it down in a letter or speak it or record it? You know, Simon always tells me, Dave, keep it real. Um, and so... I've had some really hard traumatic times in my life, clearly. You know, end up that way for no reason. Um, experienced homelessness, poverty, grew up, you know, in a single, single mom home, that was rough. We were poor even with our parent. Um, we got into a lot of fights, in and out of jail, all the stuff, all the things, a bunch of abuse. I've also experienced what the world may call success. I've made a lot of money. I have perfect credit. I have a beautiful house. I have a beautiful wife, I have great kids, I have cool friends, I'm respected in my community. Um, but you know, if I had some last words or I was to write a letter, I, I wouldn't write a book or a letter on top five ways to stay debt free. I wouldn't do that. I would not write a letter on like, you know, six ways to gain wealth and invest into your 401k. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't write three ways to have a successful marriage where your wife loves you for who you are. Because I wouldn't know how to write that book. Because I just drop the ball constantly trying to figure that out, trying to figure out how to love my wife the way Jesus loved the church. But I, I wouldn't write about any of those things. And I could, I could share some information about them. What I would say, what I would write is Pursue Jesus, chase him with everything that you got. Wrestle with your faith. It's okay to have questions and doubts and uncertainties. That's what I would want for my children. That's what I would want for my friends and my family. Pursue Jesus earnestly, follow him. All the other stuff will come. Maybe, maybe it doesn't come, but you got him. And that's the most important of it all. You see, I love my job, I love my wife, I love my family, I love my kids, but I don't love stuff that God's blessed me with more than I love him. Just having him is truly, truly enough. It really is. Now there's two ways that we can participate in the miracle of salvation. And I'm gonna give us an opportunity to respond today. And by salvation, what I mean is 
saved. Saved from what? Saved from our guilt. Saved from our shame. And most importantly, saved from our sin. But saved into new life with Jesus. Saved into a relationship with God. Saved into a new identity. Saved into a new family. There's a couple ways that we can participate in the miracle of salvation. Have the worship team come up. As I was reading the story, I was asking God, Lord, what do you, what do you have for your, your people here? What are some ways we can be like the Samaritan woman? What are some things that we can do to engage with this text? How is this text relevant to us? You see, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, their dialogue closes with the disciples coming back, remember? It closes with the disciples coming back and being confused about why Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. Why are you talking to her? What is he doing? And they didn't say that, the Bible's clear, they didn't say that, but they're thinking this. What are you, what are you talking to this woman for? There was cultural differences, there's gender stuff going on there. You see, these disciples, maybe you can identify with them. They totally missed the point. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can identify with the disciples in the sense that maybe you've been sitting it out. Maybe like myself, you've forgotten about how Jesus is the answer to our coworkers' questions, our family, our friends, our neighbors, that Jesus is the way, he is the truth. He is the life. He gives us life. He gives us new life. I want to encourage us to follow the steps of the Samaritan woman after her encounter with Jesus. She couldn't help but tell everybody about this Jesus. She didn't have a microphone. She had nothing special. She just had her story. Romans 10, 14 through 15 reads. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's you guys. That's us. And listen, here's the thing. I know it's awkward. Kind of weird at times. I know. I know it's not popular. That's okay. It is weird. It is awkward to share our faith. It is weird to talk about Jesus. Um, it's not that we have to, but we get, we get to. We get to do that. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us regarding that because I need boldness too. I need courage too because it's It's scary but I know that he's the answer. Or maybe you identify with the Samaritan woman before she met Christ. Maybe you've been seeking something, right? Just something, but you're not quite sure what it is. Maybe you have this hope in a God of some sort, but who's that? Maybe you have a past that needs forgiveness. Or maybe you have questions, the deep ones, the ones that we all have. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who created me? The person who or the thing or whatever that created me, does it love me? 
did it give me identity and purpose? Maybe you have those questions. Maybe you can identify with the Samaritan woman before she met Christ. The second way we can participate in the miracle of salvation is by doing exactly what the Samaritan woman did. It wasn't very complicated. She just believed. You see, Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, the Messiah. She just believed him. He transformed her. Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When I came to Christ, I did not know, understand any of this stuff. And I, listen, that's the thing. I get it. I'm trying to figure it all out. I, I did it. I just believed him when he, when he came into my life and it radically transformed me. So I'm going to pray for us. And if you can identify with what I'm saying, I'm going to ask you just to raise a hand. It's a gesture of faith. Yes, I received that. Yes, I agree with that. Yes, I don't fully understand, but that resonates with me. I feel like God's been tugging at your heart or calling you, or you feel like maybe you've been running from God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. So with every head bowed, all eyes closed. There's two ways that we can participate. One is by sharing our Lord with others. The second is by accepting Jesus as our Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you pursue us. Lord, you change us. Lord, you died for our sins. You gave us a way out of shame and condemnation and guilt. Lord, you did that. Lord, I pray for those right now, God, that maybe identify with the disciples. Lord, I pray for those right now that need courage to share your word. Boldness, Lord. I pray, God, that you would give us the ability, Lord, to share your, your truth and to share our story with others, even when it's weird, even when it's awkward, even when it's hard that you will allow us to participate in the miracle of salvation, Lord. If you can identify with that prayer, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Lord, you see more than hands. You also see hearts, God. And Father, I pray that you will transform our hearts. Give us soft hearts, Lord. Jesus, I pray for those that identify with the Samaritan woman before she encountered you. Those, Lord, that have been seeking something but they're not sure what. Lord, you know our needs. You know our desires. You offer us living water to fill our souls with. Lord, I pray that you just make yourself known, make yourself real to us, God. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for dying for us, Lord. Father, there's someone here today that's been trying to figure you out and who you are and what you mean to them. Lord, I just pray that you'll just prompt them to just take a step forward in faith and to give themselves to you. If that's you today, I'm going to encourage you just to raise your hand in faith if you want to take the first step in following Jesus. Jesus.